A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Truth and movies. Uh-oh, here comes Kingsman, the Golden Circle, dividing opinion at Truth and Movies. Is it the film equivalent of Donald Trump, loud, vulgar, making it up as it goes along, in love with Fox News and career-threatening, or is it worse than that? Also today, we'll be looking at On Body and Soul, the Hungarian abattoir shared dream romance you need in your life. Then it's back to the 50s for Todd Haynes' melodrama of man love and mixed heritage romance, Far From Heaven, in this week's film club. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Truth and Movies coming to you not live, unlike our last show, which was recorded Sunday night at King's Place. And many thanks to all the people who came along, including yourself, David Jenkins, and you, Adam Woodward. Hi. Hello. Good. Yeah, we had a terrific time on Sunday, didn't we? Yeah, it was charming. Lots of lots of uh, nice people yep. asking nice questions as well. Nice questions. Because amongst the chat, and we reviewed uh, Borg versus McEnroe, and you can hear all this, by the way, in the especially edited down recording of our, our live session. That's out there. It's available, listeners. We talked about Borg and McEnroe. I liked it. You guys didn't. We talked about Close Encounters. <laughs> we all liked that one. Oh, yeah. And we talked about our favourite Spielberg films. And we got questions. Probably the pick of the night was... Uh, the the, uh, the the lady who asked uh, who in 30 years' time we would be discussing in the same way that we now talk about Spielberg. Uh, we were a little bit stumped for an answer off the cuff, weren't we? Have you, have you had a chance to think more about that? Yeah, do you know what? Ever since she said that, I have been thinking about it. I actually watched a film recently that I think is going to be at the London Film Festival and maybe coming out on Netflix like in November. It's called Mudbound. Mm. It's this amazing film by an American filmmaker called Dee Rees. D. Rees. Yeah, it was astonishing. And I just thought, I hope we're talking about her in 30 years' time because, like, you know, this was like taking a very sort of quite prestige film about like racism in the 40s in America and Mississippi and doing something really fresh and unique with it. Mm. I'm, the, I'm really excited to see it. The again. buzz is strong with this one. It's, it's in the London Film Festival, is I that believe right? so, yeah. yeah. Excellent. All right, well, that, that's an interesting shout. Adam, at the time on Sunday, you mentioned the director of Midnight Special. Mm. Yeah, Jeff Nichols. Mm. Uh, Midnight Special, he's done... Um, the one about the hurricanes. Yeah, Take Shelter. Mm. There you go. Uh, Loving as well, which is the most recent one. I think, uh, yeah, he's a very solid filmmaker. I don't think he's made a bad film yet. And Mud also, which is very good. Oh, yeah, which That's is very terrific, sort of spielberg Yeah. Uh, here's Charles Gustine, who says, I keep thinking about that question too. My nominations, Chazelle or Kugler? Uh, Damien and Ryan. Damien Chazelle, who wowed everyone with Whiplash and then pulled off the extraordinary one-two with La La Land. And why are you shaking your head, Adam? I didn't like either of those films. What? But I, but Ryan Coogler is very good. I, I enjoy Creed a lot. Creed's uh, great. Fruitvale Station, I think, is, is flawed, but yeah, it's got some merit. And... His new film, Black Panther, 
60% of the time it works every time. <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah. I think, I think you know, Coogler's an interesting one. I, ho- I hope he makes a good Marvel movie and then gets, you know, a bit more freedom to make other good non-Marvel but movies. But you didn't like Whiplash or La La Land? What La La Land I thought was fine but quite dull, and I, but I actively didn't like Whiplash. Really? Same. What? Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm not convinced by by Mr. Chazelle. I, I think his, it's, it's fake money what he's doing. Fake money. Yeah. Wow. I, I so strongly disagree. But that I guess is a question for another, another time because we've got other things to disagree or agree on today. Indeed. Including a work by a man who I'm pretty certain at this point we won't be discussing in 30 years' time in Spielberg guest terms. Matthew Vaughan, his new film, Kingsman: The Golden Circle. After this. Exy, I saw in you what someone once saw in me. Something that can't be taught. The makings of a Kingsman. Being a Kingsman is more than the clothing we wear or the weapons we bear. It's about being willing to sacrifice for the greater good. I hope you're ready for what comes next. Kingsman. The Golden Circle. When their headquarters are destroyed and the world is held hostage, the Kingsman's journey leads them to the discovery of an allied spy organisation in the US. These two elite secret organisations, blah, 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 blah. Adam, you went along on Monday night to the premiere of this alongside such luminaries as uh, Sir Elton John. Was everybody suitably shamefaced? No, they all seemed like they were having a, a jolly old time. Right. The, the world premiere, I should add. In, yeah, it was. In London's Leicester Square, yeah, yeah. Uh, on, on the orange carpet. But interestingly, we were kind of... Why is it orange? Well, I think he wears a sort of orange dinner jacket yeah. in the film. Uh, of course. It, it, red carpets are a bit passe nowadays, aren't they? They always have like... I think Alien Covenant had a green one or something. I like did this. a thing for FIFA and they had a green carpet because, you know, grass. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, back to your story. Well, it was interesting that the actual, I think, proper premiere bit was happening in the uh, Odeon Cinema, but we, we kind of got cattled round into the IMAX Cinema, so watched it in there. And then I basically sat for a best part of a, of a feature-length runtime uh, watching the red carpet stuff on the big screen inside the cinema um, and hearing all the kind of stars and celebs who were passing by giving their kind of two cents and talking mm. about how much they they love making the film and what we could expect and it is one of those weird things where you know I've, I've been in that situation before and you hear them all kind of hyping up the film and often I just kind of let it wash over me and don't really pay much attention to it but in this one I was like wow you know they're really they're really selling this to me here and and actually against my better judgment I quite liked the first Kingsman film I think I gave it like a sort of fairly positive three-star review mm-hmm. Kind of liked how ballsy it was and had this devil-may-care charm. And I, after them building it up for so long, right. I was just completely staggered at how completely artistically bankrupt right. this film is. And yeah. like it just has no ideas whatsoever. Well, it's, it has ideas, it's just they're all bad ones. They're bad ideas, but in terms of like, it, it's essentially like a beat-matched like a redo of the first film mm. with a load of other stuff thrown in, none of which feels particularly, you know, it's it's all pretty superfluous. You have all these additional characters. You have Channing Tatum as a kind of, yeah, whiskey-slugging cowboy uh, who's not really in the film for very long. Uh, doesn't really justify 
him being there, I don't think. I yeah. saw it described as a cameo rather than a support. Re- really, it is. And Elton John, you know that's going to be a cameo. He basically plays Elton he John. He bizarrely has more of a role in, in, the, in the plot than Channing Tatum does. Yeah, he does. And same with um, Julianne Moore as the, as the villain, mm. who, you know, great that we're going to be able to talk about a, a really wonderful Julianne Moore performance later <laughs> on this show. But she's just kind of a non-presence in this film, I think. And, and I think the, the thing that really is missing from this film that the first one had going for it is a is a big central personality that that Samuel Jackson provided. Mm. I think his villain in the first one was quite kind of in your face, a little bit provocative maybe, uh, but he just really brought something to that film that is totally, totally absent from this one. Right, interesting. David, you chose not to see this film, a decision which I, I respect enormously. <laughs> well, I mean, choose is, is a strong word. Because of the... Um the availability of times to be able to see it. Yeah. I just wasn't be able to slot it in my... We didn't by, get to the premiere, did my, we? No, we weren't able to go to the no. premiere, so, and I wasn't able to then slot it into my busy diary. Uh, let me tell you, let me put your mind at rest. But I will, can I just say that yeah. I, I only watched the first one really recently mm-hmm. on Netflix and... Um, Product placement. Sorry, um, on, on a leading streaming platform. And... Um, I mean, it was it, it for me was what I call a hate watch because it was like watching something that I thought I had a preconceived notion about it that I knew I was going to hate it and it was like I kind of need to watch this to sort of fill in some blanks in my right. mind and I, I was hating it for quite a long time and then it kind of won me over really it's so, I think it, the film is so the first one is so kind of overwhelmingly egregious and it actually reaches a point of kind of it, it just sort of like wash it washes over you and, mm. and actually you kind of think well fair play to them they've they've kind of ramped it up to such an extreme level hmm. uh, that I kind of re- I kind of enjoyed it yeah it it kind of threw that in in a way that felt quite you know quite challenging and and deliberately provocative and right. surprising as well like the whole infamous anal sex uh, joke mm. it's not really a joke but is is kind of deployed quite well I think in the first film and in this one you know there's actually a line Elton John gives a kind of line which is like nodding back to that uh, but otherwise it feels quite kind of tame by comparison there's this one really bizarre quite cringeworthy subplot where Taron Egerton's Eggsy has to go to Glastonbury and plant a homing device a tracking device mm. on, on a woman and it's it's handled in a very kind of glib yeah, I found that very problematic, actually. Right. The, 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 not just the kind of act of doing it, but the idea that they would uh, essentially invent a tracking device that can only be uh, applied... In that area. In that area. Well, yeah. Tar- specifically targeting a, a woman, tar- you know. Mm. Yeah, it d- didn't kind of sit well with me, that. Okay. And what was the attitude towards... Glastonbury folk. Well, all we see of Glastonbury is inside of a kind of very nice glamping set. I've got to stop you there. That's not true. There is an establishing shot which is the funniest thing in the film and not intentionally. Oh, right. It, it's, a lot of this film is done with CGI, but it's kind of... It's, it's computer game level CGI. Much of the film looks like watching somebody else playing a first-person shooter or something. And, I mean... Console graphics by now are so good that the line between them and Hollywood is not that different, but it effectively kills any sense of any lingering notion of reality. And the Glastonbury shot in particular, where they, they're going to go to Glastonbury, and you get, you know, it's quite an easy thing to film. I presume they had permission to use the name. 
So, but instead, they've done this ridiculous composite shot in which biggest problem is it's sunny, but also it just doesn't <laughs> look like Gaston. It's clearly yeah. CGI. All the people wandering around are clearly CGI. It looks like one of those kind of when, when they're building like a new stadium or mm. a train station or something, and they do an artist rendering of yeah. like what it will look like when there's people actually there. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I think the, it's funny if you look at those shots really closely, and and there were some in Victorian Abdul a few weeks ago. You, you, you can actually see the people, and they just sort of like they sort of swerve back and forth, yeah. doing, the, doing the same movement. There's another shot very early on when in a car chase, which was meant to be the big kind of like throwing down a gauntlet, stunning set piece that opens the movie, and uh, they go around um, Hyde Park Corner. Mm. And it's clear that they just filmed the road empty and then CGI the cars in. It, again, yeah. it looks like a video game. Like, um, sorry. I was just going to say on that note, on the, on the kind of way it's actually been shot, which is, you know, quite an important thing to talk about when, when you're discussing essentially an action film. Mm. Promise, it promises to deliver a lot of that spectacle. And yeah, it opens with this, uh, what's supposed to be a show-stopping taxi chase through London. And the whole thing has just been kind of stitched together with multiple shots and then slathered in like digital effects afterwards and the, the camera it's weird that the, the camera doesn't necessarily follow the action but it's kind of always moving around it orbiting the action in a kind of very drunken way and it's really really incoherent i actually felt on the imax screen especially felt quite sick watching it mm. Right, that sensation I had throughout the movie, I must admit. I, David, I couldn't have disliked this film more if they'd said it on the M25 before it was built. <laughs> one of the things that, that I found very strange about the first one, actually, which would be interesting to know if this is sort of followed over from the second, is this, this idea, this sort of central idea of, like... And I, I don't know if this is a thing or not, I'm just sort of, like, projecting onto the film, but this idea of, like, it's a film about how about i guess upward mobility and it's about you know All right. poverty being a bad thing and being a kind of a well, gentleman you know who who goes to to a tailor in savile row and we blah, hear, blah, blah. there's that famous speech i mean i say famous but there was that almost signature speech that colin first does in the first film where he talks about what being a kingsman represents in terms of a way of behaving, being a gentleman, which is a, a kind of totemic idea in, in this. But it's interesting how badly this film fails to understand what being a gentleman a, a actually is. And I, now I've got a long list of things I, that I could say about this film, but that's certainly one of them. It, it completely mistakes what, say, the Bond films were offering in terms of a, a role model experience for the males in the audience, perhaps. It wasn't just about the suits. It wasn't just about the guns. It was also about a certain way of being. And Taron Egerton, with the best will in the world, cannot carry that. The scene, for example, when Channing Tatum arrives in the film, who's a genuine movie star, really, I think, highlights the difference between the kind of actor that or the level of performance or charisma that um, Taron can offer, and the kind of person they would need to carry off a film as ridiculous as this. I mean, it's just, it's enormous. But that's only one part of what's so wrong with this film. Story-wise, as you mentioned, a lot of it's just been constructed with kind of various little annexes in order to fit in the people that that they want to, the the star names they want to bring in. The most egregious of Mm -hmm. which would have to be Elton John, um, you can make a case for the kind of indulging yourself. Let's have Elton John in this film. He's been kidnapped by the, the baddies. They're forcing him to play his old hits. But to then use him as a major plot device in one of the climaxes, because there's more than one, <laughs> of the movie, and have the viewers accept that that whole deus ex machina experience, basically the, that climax is going to be resolved by Elton John turning into a septuagenarian kickboxer. I mean, that's a, that's a mighty leap. 
No, I'm sorry. The whole film is a spoiler. As a leap of faith and logic, that is, uh, is quite a The a thing is, one. you could get away with it if the whole film, till that point, had been a madcap laugh riot. But it really hasn't. There's very few actual laughs in this film. The script, I think, is utterly dismal. It mistakes Taron Egerton repeatedly using the F word for some kind of repartee. And I, to go back to the Bond films, which to some degree this is meant to be an ironic twist on, they have scripts, they have some level of wordplay going on, they have wit. And for me, this is entirely absent from this. And mentioning the F-bomb, the repeated use of Fox News throughout this, I actually found to be offensive. There was a lot of fuss recently about Sean Spicer um, turning up at the Emmys. Mm. But for me, this is another level of offensiveness. For you to... Basically, this film only includes one media source for all its various bits of TV news plot exposition. And it's Fox News, Fox News, Fox News. It's not just but another the film, channel. The film is... Made by 20th Century Fox. Well, yeah, but if you're a viewer now, that is the mouthpiece, the ally of the Trump administration, which and that's a toxic brand for, I would think, probably 60, 70 percent of film goers now, surely. I actually wonder, like, who is kind of watching this film uh, in relation to it being like a spy spoofing action movie and thinking back to those early James Bond films because, you know, the, the, the kind of younger movie generation have grown up with Daniel Craig as James Bond. Uh, and he had a kind of major reinvention in that role, or the, or the character had a major reinvention with Casino Royale. Mm. And what those films, what the Kingsman films aren't doing is pastiching the Daniel Craig era Bond. They're pastiching like Roger Moore era Bond, I guess, mostly. Um, which, yeah, just feels like a, a massive generational gap there. I wonder what young people, if they're getting any of that, if it's actually coming through as a kind of parody. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Not being a young person anymore myself, Adam. But I know what you mean. It's very superficial. It's very uh, shallow, uh, you know, to the point that a lot of the dialogue, a lot of the the swears and F-bombs and things, uh, they are deployed in a very, uh, yeah, just they're not really worked into the script. They're they're just kind of scattered about. Almost uh, like it's shocking enough to earn a laugh. You know when when you're like 13 or whatever and you're... But I think that's who this film's for. 13-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. Same same as Deadpool. No, yeah. Deadpool had a genuine wit and invention to it. And if, when we do our Deadpool yeah. episode, okay. I will fight that corner. <laughs> you, but to compare this to Deadpool, I'm sorry, David. But even though I didn't like Deadpool, I can appreciate that there is construction of jokes there. Right? Yeah. It follows a kind of pattern of that. And the humour is not to my taste specifically, but uh, in, in this film, yeah, there, there really aren't any jokes in it. And actually, the, the screening I was in, which is a very, I would say, a very captive audience, very big essentially like a general public sort of screening but world premiere there were very few laughs actually through, throughout the audience I was kind of listening out and there were no oohs and ahs no kind of belly laughs it was quite a flat ride the whole way through mm. which, I, I, which I was very surprised by yeah I, I mean, it becomes embarrassing you'll have Channing Tatum you'll have Jeff Bridges you'll have all these people Mark uh, Strong you'll have they're all going through what what there is of a script more or less in an adult fashion, and in between them, you've got Taron Egerton going around saying "f this, f that," as though that's you know the, the, the killer payoff line. So, should I go and see this then? Well, I don't want to sell it as being so bad that it's good, because ah. um, it really isn't. It's so bad that it's very, think, very bad. I think we should just have a word on the kind of what I think is quite insidious politics of the film as well, and you know the fact that in the story in the film you have the. The, the British kind of blindly being led by the their American allies to defeat an enemy who is based in a kind of is it Cambodian mm. uh, retreat and it's and essentially they're um, 
firing off these kind of missiles which contain a kind of toxin that is going to infect a lot of people and there's, there's, there's obvious parallels to to real world events there and maybe this film was written a long time before that i don't know, know if it's intentionally meant to be meant, meant to reflect anything that's happening today but the way that's kind of handled is just yeah it, it's it's as i say it's very glib uh it's not really making a comment or, or a critique of you know it's, it, but it didn't really feel like it's actually on a, like a right wing kind of no, I, I, flag I waving. Yeah, you know, I don't. I didn't feel that specifically. I just think that there's, it, you know, there are certain choices that you make, certain brands you want to ally yourself with, and if if one of them is as toxic as as for me, and I think a lot of people, Fox News is the only other media outlet we see in this is is, is the Sun newspaper to give you an idea. And it, okay, it's from the same parental company. That's what I mean. There, there isn't this sense of like you know, flag-waving, jingoistic, like gung-ho, yeah, we're going to defeat this enemy because the enemy is a sort of is American anyway. But um, but I think the, the more insidious stuff, like the idea of, of, of this of this kind of class, is obsessed with the idea of class and the idea that, you know, working-class uh, people should aspire to be like uh, the Kingsmen, basically, um, and that they are the kind of de facto rulers of, of, of the masses. It's, it's quite a kind of... Wow, interesting... Yeah, but I basically sort of summarised in my review that, you know, drawing a, a kind of comparison to Brexit, that mm. it's a film that basically we've asked for, but not necessarily the one that we want. Well, I don't know who asked for it. I would go oh, further. The, the, like I said in my intro, this is Donald Trump. It, it goes on way longer than you, than, than you could possibly want. And, and but, it's, it's bizarre that anyone would like it, but, but apparently they do. But we did ask for it because the first film did amazingly well oh, at the okay. box office and that warrants a sequel being made. So we're, we're kind of handing Matthew Vaughan that. We've given him the mandate to make this movie. I suppose that's And by true. we, I mean the kind of wider movie-going public and not listeners of this this podcast. But What do you want to, what do you want to give it, Adam? Uh, yeah, um, in my review, I gave it a three for anticipation mm-hmm. uh, and a two and then a one in retrospect. Right, I'd go... Two one zero, I think, a similar. Do you want to go minus? Minus? No, I mean, save that for the. Someone was asking the other day about whether we, whether it was possible to go to zero, and I think nothing can be zero. Do you not think? Because I think one is kind of zero to to twenty, so it's it's anything in between that. So, like in your mind, it can be zero, but it has to be one. I think you can go minus though. Oh, can I? Yeah, but you can't go zero because that sort of implies it doesn't exist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it's minus ten. <laughs> it's minus, and we'll move we're just, on. We're just making it up as we go along. That's so. true. If anyone's not figured that out yet, <laughs> um, that is Kingsman: The Golden Circle, and I would really think twice about going to see it. But next up, we got a very intriguing motion picture to discuss on Body and Soul. On Body and Soul, in which the director of an abattoir becomes strangely drawn to a shy, awkward meat inspector in Hungarian filmmaker Ildiko Enyedi's comeback uh, feature. She'd previously uh, wowed the world of cinema with uh, Simon the Magician, but this is her first feature film in 18 years. It won the Grand Jury Prize at the Berlin Film Festival this no, the, year. No, the Golden Bear, Bear which is Did the, it? the top, top, top prize. Okay. That's not the same as the Grand Jury Prize. No, no, no. There is, I don't think there is a Grand Jury Prize in Berlin. Okay. Sorry. All right. No no, no problem at all. Um, it's also been put up for the uh, 90th Annual Academy Awards. It'll be interesting to see how it does there. Is it, David, because this is a film that you have seen and indeed recommended for us. Yes. Is it a film about human interaction and romance in an abattoir? Or is it a film about an abattoir where some people fall in love? Or 
Is it a dream that some deer have? Oh, well, um, it's all of those things and nothing, maybe. Um, to sort of flesh out what you've just sort of teased us with there, the sort of story does take place in this Hungarian abattoir. And um, the first shot of the film is of these, this beautiful kind of footage of these deer in a kind of snowy glade. And they're just sort of trotting about and looking at each other and these two deer kind of come into contact then all of a sudden you know you're transported to a to an abattoir in uh in in hungary i'm assuming um, mm. I, i'm not entirely sure the city where it's set or if it's ever mentioned but it's a kind of feels like a sort of small townish abattoir and you have a um yeah the director who's an who's an older man and he's having these the suggestion being that this is one of his dreams and then uh, later on you have a younger woman who who arrives as a meat inspector and she's quite a strange character she doesn't really um she she's very shy and nervy and there's a suggestion that she has had some maybe past trauma or maybe maybe has some sort of issues i guess and uh they kind of it takes them a while but they reach this point through a very kind of funny sequence involving the um the kind of office psychologist, where uh, it's kind of it's revealed that they've basically been having the same dream. Mm. Mm. All right, but the film—I I mean, without sort of specifically saying what happens after that—I mean, that really is only the kind of that's the first half of the film. It plays out in unexpected ways, shall mm. we say? Mm. Okay, it's a film of really strong juxtapositions. You mentioned that at the start between the idyllic pastoral scene of the the deer and the butchery. And it's very vivid and very real, filmed almost in documentary fashion, the the cows being slaughtered. Um, Adam, to what extent does it manage to keep its various different interests, its various different plates spinning at the same time? Yeah, I think I had my art house bingo out for this one, waiting for the... uh the abattoir scene and the nudity. And, yeah, it all all kind of, I think, balances it quite What else is on your bingo card? Uh, Well, usually it would be... So somewhat like suicide is one or mm-hmm. death, animal being killed, right? Which you know, if that happens in the first couple of minutes of a film, you know it's going to be good. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, and just yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's quite a big one. What else is on there? Not graphic sure, sex, not sure, yeah. yeah, graphic, gra- sex. Gra- there's graphic yeah. sex in this. So you got you got white and scarlet mm-hmm. as the, the kind of dominant colours here, um, but also jelly babies and anal sex at one point. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're on there. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, but on a serious. So there I is think... there is a link to Kingsman then, <laughs> as well. So. But but yeah, the, the biggest kind of dichotomy, if you will, yeah. in this film was the the balance between the humane and the inhumane, and, and it starts off with the extreme violence, and then it becomes almost a kind of a gentle exploration, a, a almost whimsical meditation on you know, the, the nature of the attraction between these people. Yeah, I think that's a gentle is a really nice word to use because there is this like you know unexpected violence and and not just in kind of a very obvious visceral bloody way but um emotional kind of violence as well there's some sort of bullying that happens in the film um between the office workers and like you say there's this implication that she's suffered a past trauma and but there there is a really kind of gentle film in it i think it does get that balance between you know shocking you a little bit but surprising you with those images and then really engrossing you in the central uh, it's, it's not really a love story, but it's a kind of story of connection, I guess, between the two lead mm. characters. And um, yeah, the the idea that they they kind of on this path together, with not really being able to explain why, 
and uh, cutting cutting back every now and then to these deer in the forest, which the, the actual shots of the deer in the snowy forest are just unbelievable. It's yeah. Like, yeah, really beautiful. Yeah, they are absolutely wonderful. Does it then add up to the sum of its parts, this film? I mean, the title of the film almost feels like a kind of, you know, like a philosophical tract or something or an essay on body and soul. And when you're watching it, it's sometimes quite hard to comprehend why Enyedi has used that title for the film. And it's something you have to kind of keep in your mind as you're trying to sort of decipher these sometimes quite random images and, and scenes. As a sort of like very, as a conventional sort of three-act narrative, it's probably not going to get a passing grade, and I absolutely don't think that's a bad thing at all. It works for me as this kind of fascinating, almost like accruing of detail and, and, and ideas on this subject of like the difference between our, our kind of physical and, and, and almost spiritual selves. And the first scene is a dream, and the second is like almost here is the sort of stuff inside us which actually creates dreams. So you have to like, you know, you're kind of contending with those two ideas and it's obsessed with like bodies and skin and, and flesh and, uh, and people, people sort of touching each other in contact. And there is actually, she's actually quite, she, she doesn't really like to make contact with people and it's, and it's interesting, that's sort of an interesting part of her character and, you know, it questions as to whether that, that distance she has actually makes her is actually leading to her problems, maybe. Right. Second great mashed potato scene of the oh, week, yes. the other yeah, being, of course, in Close Encounters. There's a really, yeah, it's a really sort of sensual moment almost where... It's quite comical, actually, but she sort mm. of just plops her hand onto a plate of mashed potato and sort of kneads it around. And, yeah, see, it was quite satisfying to watch. I kind of want to go home and do that myself. Mm. But right, well, yeah. I might, might well do. It's a therapeutic film, I think. Yeah. Do you think? Because yeah. there, there are bits that are, that are humorous in this. There are some very interesting ideas and there's some charming bits... Her reenacting her encounters with other human beings via the medium of Playmobil toys, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, is great. Mm. Some parts of it are deeply upsetting, though. I mean, really. I think so, but in a way, I mean, I kind of watched it almost quite passively, some of that stuff. I mean, the scenes in the Avatar, especially, um, it's, it's done in quite a kind of matter of fact way. It's, mm. it's not really, you know, gratuitous or, or sort of overly lingering on that stuff. And. It's often you, you do sometimes get it in art house movies actually and, and movies generally I suppose but where directors put that stuff in to kind of jolt you out your seat a bit and, and I didn't feel like this is what that film was trying to do it is trying to kind of make a, a, a bigger it's trying to say something deeper on hmm. like the idea of life and you know the, the spiritual connection between not just like people but like everything in nature and, and the environment that we that we kind of exist in Fair enough Adam What numbers would you give this baby then? Um, well, despite the the Berlin Prize, mm-hmm. I haven't seen the director's previous films. I didn't know much about it going in, so I'd kind of I'd go for a three, and then I think four and four for enjoyment and in retrospect. And it's a film which you, you mentioned, you know, adding up to the sum of its parts. Mm. I would I would argue that the the parts maybe are stronger than the, than the whole, but I'm not sure it's a film which is trying to arrive at a destination okay. that everyone's supposed to get to at the same point or. You know, it's it's a film to kind of ponder, and it it, it leaves some pretty interesting open-ended. Do you questions. think it could be half an hour shorter, uh, or twenty I, minutes? It didn't kind of drag for me. Did it not? Massively. Okay, David. Yeah, I'd give it similar similar scores. Right. Um, I um, yeah no. I just sort of adding to what Adam was saying. I I, I mean, there it, there is a sort of sequence at the, near the end of the film, which is, I mean. I guess on paper and and actually in in memory is is, is very shocking but 
the way that she directs is so is very playful, like un, unnervingly playful. So like the shock doesn't come from the thing that's happening, but more like the light spin that she's giving it, like comic spin. And um, I think it's really kind of, it's enjoyable and, in, and interesting. And yeah, it's a film that you have to kind of, it leaves you with a lot of questions. Mm. And, and I definitely don't think that is, a that, that, that's, a, that's a big positive in my mind. Okay. All right. I, I must admit, I did struggle with that scene at the end. I mm. found it quite difficult uh, to watch. And I do think the film could have been a bit tighter. I didn't have much in the way of uh, expectations about it. I enjoyed it, and then there was some very enjoyable bits about it. So I'd probably give it a, you know, three at the time and three after. Interesting film. You know, you need to make a little bit of time for it. Don't be in a hurry while you're watching. I it. mean, if you are if you are particularly squeamish, mm. then it might be one to just have a kind of have a pillow re- ready, fast mm. forward button ready, or. <laughs> And don't watch it with kids. But yeah, it's, it's on. I think it's on. Uh, it's on Mubi from this week. So is it available on there to watch? Okay. Not. I don't think from this week actually. It's. I think it's out in the cinema this week, and then it's coming on Mubi right. soon. So. Excellent. All right. Well, next up on Truth and Movies, it's the Little White Lies film. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices. Down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What is it, dear? I think I just saw someone walking through our yard. What on earth? Oh my, Mrs. Whitaker, perhaps you should call the police. Excuse me, may I help you? Who are you? Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. My name is Raymond Deegan. Otis Deegan's son? I was just taking over some of his- Your Otis' son? Yes. I, I'm, I'm terribly sorry for speaking to you in that manner. I. I didn't know who was in my yard. Oh, no need. How is your father? I know he was in the hospital. Yes, well, my father's passed away, I'm afraid. Oh, oh, I, I had no idea. I'm, I'm so very sorry. The moment there when Julianne Moore meets Dennis Haysbert in her garden. Dennis Haysbert, of course, 
part of the 24 universe, famously. Of course, yeah. This, Todd Haynes's Far From Heaven, inspired by the melodramas of Douglas Sirk, this is uh, Todd Haynes's story of 1950s Connecticut and a housewife facing both a marital crisis and mounting racial tensions in her community. Hmm. Not too much comment on this on account of the fact that it's actually quite difficult to get hold of. Um, you can't stream it. I th- why is a film this famous not available for streaming? It's 2017, David. Oh, I mean, I th- I'm sure that someone somewhere has it and just keeping it in the chamber for a special day. Oh. I mean, not all films are available instantly, alas. Um, yeah. There are still quite big... I mean, you know, you get you can get Kingsman quite easily, but this one is has not been deemed what a sort of prime material, but... To give you the boring answer, I think a lot of uh, a lot of distributors are actually starting their own streaming channels. So where you have like one distributor that maybe has, covers a lot of a lot of smaller distributors, um, they're all kind of um, atomizing and and starting their own little things. So right. I'm sure there'll be a kind of, if not a Todd Haynes streaming service, then whoever made this film for Todd Haynes, right. Um, at Studio Canal or something like that. But. Good to know. What, what did the listeners who did offer a comment have to say for themselves? Oh, golly. Oh. Uh, Ian Schultz uh, tweets in to say one of his best, Todd Haynes' best. Um, and Ken Bowes describes it as a beautiful precursor to Carol, mm. which is Todd Haynes' uh, 2015 film. Very nice. Like watching a painting, beautiful, but plenty of substance to perform as excellent as Emma Fagan. Daniel Petra Nilsson really liked it, also loved Carol. Lots of mentions of, of, of connecting it to Carol. Yes. I think there's also a film that I don't not sure it's mentioned. Oh, yeah, here we go. Dan Brewer says somewhere between Safe Carol uh, and FFH, Far From Heaven, lurks the best of Haynes, but all are more than the sum of their parts. Therein lies his genius. Right. Where, wherein lies his genius? Therein lies his, the, the fact that his films are more than the sum of their parts. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I think this one is probably especially goes by that rule, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that it is a kind of essentially, as you say, a pastiche of a 1950s melodrama style of filmmaking, um, style that maybe drew on kind of soap opera, very big emotions, very sort of like blunt feelings, and you know had ideas sort of loaded up front and center, but had this kind of subversive element that a lot of people that maybe who were watching at the time maybe didn't quite clock on to right uh, Douglas Sirk himself yeah his films were they were celebrated at the time but then later in the 70s and 80s they were kind of re, re, rediscovered by this uh, community of like hardcore cinephiles who just saw deeper kind of riches in them and of Todd Haynes being one of them um, but yeah no I think there it is a kind of three-way Terradome-style deathmatch between this and Safe and Carol as, really? to, as, to, as his best film. For me, it's Carol that stands at the end blooded but triumphant, you know, right. holding aloft the, the, the heads of the, the vanquished rivals. Because uh, I think because it feels less of a pastiche, mm. Carol. It shares many of the same kind of aesthetic qualities in terms of the art direction, which is fabulous, but they actually feel like real people in Carol. With, with There's a genuine connection. And, one thing I'm really always I've been fascinated with um, about Far From Heaven is the performances and kind of like how, to what extent they are intended as pastiches of performances from a 1950s film because I wouldn't point to anyone in this and say that it's like a kind of great performance as we might judge by like modern standards. Uh, they're very sort of like uh, yeah they are quite kind of soapy. Even there's an, you know the scene where Dennis Quaid is kind of like breaking down 
this is hugely emotional moment and mm. it's and it's almost like he's he's a good actor and someone who can kind of pull off that scene i'm sure quite comfortably but there's something that feels oddly kind of like simplistic or out of place about it i did think he was ex- uh, maybe not extraordinary but i was surprised at how good he was in this film within the constraints of the character a lot of the time all he does is wear an expression on his face mm. but it's an expression that at times expresses such deep self-loathing that um i, I thought he was he stood out for me in this yeah, I, th- I agree. I think he's a really, really top bit of casting, and I just yeah intrigued by that idea of like these these great actors of the kind of modern screen, almost like channeling fifties actors, um, all kind of classic Hollywood actors. I know what you, what you said before though about Carol feeling more real. Hmm. I'd say this that's probably the reason just just to be annoying why <laughs> I prefer Far From Heaven because I think that there is this kind of like you know I think Carol is immaculate and does what it does amazingly well and it, and you know it, it it's quite i guess it's stylistically at least it's quite sort of straightforward hmm. whereas this does have the kind of as much as it is 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 a film about this with this woman struggling with her life in sort of suburban connecticut it is also a kind of hymn to classic hollywood and right. and the, the you know it's very much part, like a part of the patchwork of classic movie making how and, badly by the way did they treat their kids <laughs> they treat them kind of like adults that so they don't want to be around, right? Yeah. Well, the kids are pretty mean to each other as well. In well, that's also true. Um, just yeah, just a sorry because like... I rudely interrupted. No, 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 no. I, I think I just wanted to finish by saying that yeah, the the fact that it does have this kind of like almost a barrier between the the, the emotions and and the reality. Mm. It, it's almost like he's given himself a little kind of it's a test almost, mm. or, or or you know it's 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 a problem to solve. Yeah, it's an intellectual yeah. exercise, slightly. This film, isn't it? I, that's the thing. I, I I know it is, but I never feel that it okay. is. I, by the end, I'm just absolutely just gone. I mean, it's, you... I, I, I'm it, it just completely gets me. Maybe I mean I think Carol gets me as well, but this this really really gets me. I think. Oh, okay. Um, and I think it is mainly to do with Julianne Moore's performance. And I think, as you say, that they are they are kind of calibrated in this very specific way. But I think the the reason why they work is because they're sustained as well. Mm. Like the, 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 they're sustained at a pitch constant throughout the whole film. And that is that's that, that's the magic of the film of being able to just su- sustain a tone over this film. And yeah, it never breaks that. And it, ne- it it never kind of like shows you shows you the mirror or like you know pulls back the curtain and you can see ah well it's all artifice it's all it's you know fake fake movie within a movie but it draws so much attention to its artifice through things like the cinematography it's like so many scenes where characters are bathed in this like red or green light and really kind of dark shadows as well and it doesn't feel particularly real you know if you, if you go and sit in a bar uh it doesn't, that's not how it kind of looks right and in this film it's like creating this very uh, consciously, I guess, artificial environment. The, the scene characters. where uh, they meet in a um, in a bar and uh, the, the, the barman essentially refuses to serve them oh, yeah. is the, the greatest on-screen recreation of, of, of Norman Rockwell that I've ever seen. Oh, right. It's incredible how, the, you know, the, the similarity there. Yeah. Um, one thing that really struck me about this film, and going back to the repeated effing and jeffing, in Kingsman, the Golden Circle, was when Dennis Quaid swears about half an hour in. It is, it is, you know, that's when swearing is effective. Mm. Just uh, saying. It's oh not yeah. Big and clever. Oh no, 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 no. It is. I mean, this is a film about. I mean, you know, the way that the language is used, and I mean, even that clip there, where you know she she is kind of 
you're you're kind of waiting to see how she's going to react to the, to this black gardener in her in in who's sort of wandering around her garden and the the fact that she's instantly shows compassion and you know it's it's kind of unexpected and he he seems kind of sort of lost for words about how, you know what why she's treating treating him like that because I mean the time that it's taking place I guess it's still kind of Jim Crow and the, you know there is kind of there's mentions of um, a Little Rock and and mm. all these kind of things that are happening around America, sort of racial issues, I guess, and and it's it's everything is kind of couched in this bigger bigger thing. It's odd because she seems kind of oblivious to it as well. Like you have Viola Davis as the housemaid, who's very very conscious of it and is kind of quite protective of her. Um, who she kind of senses her naivety to how her relationship with this gardener might be received by the kind of community and. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wonder as well, like the romantic kind of connection between them, whether it's something that her character even realizes, even like in the final scene, it's that beautiful ambiguity of that of that kind of yeah fi- final moment between them. Mm. But I mean, one of the things that this is referred to, I mean, the, the style of film, I think that that it's kind of borrowing from is is I think you, you'd call it a women's picture because it is like a film essentially about. What about a woman? But it's also about women, and uh, and it's it's the central idea of it is not just about is she going to get the guy? Is she going to choose to kind of you know disconnect from her life and and move on with this and this up this other opportunity? It's actually looking at it's it, it's almost like tallying up all the stuff that she would actually be losing and asking would that be so bad? Would that be so bad? Is you know is this kind of you know, cut and paste suburban lifestyle. I mean, it's kind of got almost a sort of um, close encounters vibe to it. You know, it's, it is about like w- what are the things that are standing in the way from you just l- dropping everything and, and, and starting a new life. Right. Which know? is what Dennis Quaid does. Indeed. Mm. All right. Well, there you go. That is Todd Haynes' Far From Heaven. And uh, what are we going to be doing for Film Club next week, Adam? Uh, well, we mentioned it on the live show um, with the passing of Harry Dean Stanton, mm. talking about one of his films. And actually, it was a, a kind of audience uh, suggestion of Pretty in Pink. Pretty in the, Pink. The John Hughes film. I've never seen it. You've never seen I've yeah. seen a long time ago. Um, and maybe not one of Harry Dean Stanton's most uh, recognised or mm. talked about kind of roles, but still quite a significant one. And yeah, a, a different kind of movie, I think, than we've done recently. Can I stream it? I think it is actually streamable, yeah. I'm sure it is, yeah. All right, but I think no, it's a good choice because I think that he was in so many films and, and and so many different types of films as well. I think we could have obviously gone for Repo Man or Paris, Texas, but this this is almost like the other side of Harry Dean. And um, well, yeah, I'd encourage people to watch those as well. But for for Film Club, I think yeah, Pretty in Pink is a nice nice fit. Excellent, excellent. Psychedelic Furs, Ahoy! Uh, we'll also have some new releases to contend with and those would be so we're going to be looking at a, a movie called Daphne which is London set quite low key character study um, with a, a sort of star making performance by a, an actor called Emily Beecham and so the other one is um, Goodbye Christopher Robin uh-huh. uh, which is, looks like a kind of prestige biopic with Donald Gleeson oh right Donald Gleeson's interesting because uh, was it 2015 when he was in a movie every week essentially sometimes two and then he obviously took 2016 off, and in 2017, again, he's in everything. He was in American Maid, he was in Mother, exclamation mark, and now this. I mean, yeah, people love Donald Gleeson. I yeah. mean, you know, he's... Uh, he's I, lo- I love Donald Gleeson. I think he's great. 
Because also Mother was his brother Brian as well. That's true, so, who I'd not encountered before. I, I hope there's more Donal Brian double-up movies in the Do you think the, that they the might be like the Baldwins? Billy and... Uh, well, Alex. <laughs> and, Alex. And, and whichever other ones yeah. there are. They could be our Baldwins. Let's hope so. Yeah, excellent. Good. All right, so that's next week's Truth and Movies. If you have a comment, either about Pretty in Pink or anything else... Uh, if you vehemently d- disagree with us uh, on, say, Kingsman, the Golden Circle, uh, or something similar, then do let us know. You can email us at truthandmovies at tcolondon.com is the address for that. Tweet us at LWLies or find us on Facebook. Uh, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up shop for another week, Adam? I just, just as we've been recording this, I just remembered a personal anecdote from my youth in relation to animals being killed. Okay. Uh, so, so my my granddad was uh, in the army, and he was posted over in Singapore, and he had this video of uh, of a kind of local town's animal ritual sacrifice. And at the end of the video, they brought out this huge bull. What and, kind of and, video were they doing in, in wartime? No, it's it's just a kind of like you know he he was just recording it himself right, on okay. his like downtime. Went uh, to a kind of local village uh-huh. animal sacrifice as you do on of a weekend, and. Uh, yeah, we used to watch this video, and at the end of end of the video, this this bull gets. They kind of start off with a chicken, and the animals get kind of progressively bigger, right? And they end up executing this bull with a big sword, just kind of chopping its head off. Apocalypse Now style, very apocalypse, basically like the scene, end scene from Apocalypse Now. And uh, we had this like amazing old kind of worn out Super Eight film of it, and me and my brother would always make my granddad rewind it at the end so the cow's head went back on. Ta! And it just reminded me watching this film of that. Oh, brilliant. I enjoyed that. Excellent. What a way to end it. Well, what a way to end it or begin it. Indeed. Mm. Yeah, if if listeners have got any animal killing related (laughs) anecdotes. Yeah, do let us know. Uh, That's fantastic. Thank you for being with us today. Adam, David, you're returning next week. Yeah, yeah. You go through to our grand final, as it were. (laughs) Uh, You listeners, I hope, will be joining us as well. So we'll see you in and around the middle of next week. In the meantime, this has been a Seven Digital Production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 